0: السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من Min الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرة أما بعد فَاعُوذُ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما Allahumma Sali ala Muhammadin wa ala ala Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ala Ibrahim inna ka hamidun majid Allahumma barik ala Muhammadin wa ala ala Muhammad kama barikta ala Ibrahim wa ala ala Ibrahim inna ka hamidun majid Respects and alaikum <coughs> Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh As was announced Today's talk is about The noble companion Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah <coughs> During the time of the Prophet وسلم, He featured prominently In <coughs> the public life of the Muslims and he was very close to the messenger sallallahu given positions of authority and trust unfortunately he passed away during the khilafah of Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu and there are only a handful of hadith Fewer than 15 hadith related from Sayyidina Abu al ibn al-Jarrah. Anh. As a result of which, both the fewer number of hadith and the fact that he died very early during the Khilafah of Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar ibn al-Khattab, for these reasons and others, not much is known about him, and nor is he as <coughs> famous as some of the other companions. Even though during the time of the Prophet sallallahu he was very prominent and one of the most beloved companions to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So, hopefully, insha'Allah, we will learn a bit more about him and be educated about his life, his character, and personality, and the purpose and wisdom of speaking about and learning about the lives of the companions عنهم, is that we may be inspired and strengthened and motivated to adopt their noble character, to follow in their footsteps, to learn from their example. One of the most famous scholars and saints of this ummah Imam Junaid al-Baghdadi alayhi, he whilst speaking to his students was asked that is there any benefit in relating the stories and the accounts of the pious people since it has always been part of learning and Islamic tradition to relate stories of the piety of the ulama and the sulaha the learned and the pious of the sunnah and in many speeches and lectures and discussions and in many books as well you will find many stories and accounts from lives of the ulama <clears throat> and the pious throughout this, throughout the centuries of the sunnah. So is the, and biographies have always played a great part in Islamic tradition. So is there any purpose, is there any wisdom in relating these stories? As long as, of course, they are authentic. So Imam Junaid al-Baghdadi, Rahmatullahi said, Yes, of course there is. These great benefits. So, students asked to. Is there any proof of what you say and contend that there is a great benefit in relating and listening to the stories of the pious? So, Imam Junaid al Baghdadi recited the verse of Surah Hud in the Quran in which Allah says, addressing the Prophet. وَكُلَّنَا نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ أَنْبَاءِ الرُسُّلِ مَا نُثَبِّتُ بِهِ فُؤَادَكَ وَجَاءَكَ فِي هَذِهِ الْحَقّ وَمَوْعِظَةٌ وَذِكْرَى لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ Addressing the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah says, And indeed, we do relate to you of each of the accounts of these messengers, such accounts that through them, or such an account that through it, we give steadfastness and strength to your heart. And the truth has come to you in these stories, in these tales of the prophets. And a lesson, a remembrance, and an admonition has come in these accounts of the prophets for the believers. So this was the verse which Junaid al-Baghdadi rahmatullahi alayhi, cited as proof and in substantiation of his argument that relating the stories of the pious has a great purpose and wisdom. And indeed, consider this verse of the Qur'an. The Prophet wasallam was the imam and the lead. And the best of all of the prophets of Allah, without exception. So he was superior. To them. And yet Allah tells him that, O Messenger of Allah, we do relate to you the stories of the prophets to whom you are superior, and of whom you are the leader and the chief. And yet in relating the stories of those to whom you are superior and you are the leader, we still grant you steadfastness and the strength of the heart through these stories. And the truth comes to you in these stories. There was solace and there was comfort, and consolation for the Prophet ﷺ. And lessons for him also. And in another verse of the Qur'an, after relating the stories of the Prophets alayhi musat with some of the Prophets uh, and providing an account of some of the messengers, Allah says to the Messenger وسلم, again, فَبِهُدَاهُ مُقْتَدِهِ that O Prophets of Allah, adopt the example and follow in the footsteps of their guidance. So if even the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is strengthened and inspired, and he is given steadfastness. And the truth comes to him. And a lesson comes to him. And he is instructed to follow in the footsteps of those prophets, alayhum whose accounts Allah relates to him in the Qur'an, then what of us? Wouldn't we be inspired and strengthened and motivated? Wouldn't we be encouraged? to gain a lesson and to follow in the footsteps of those who are far superior to us. And so, as Imam Junaid al-Baghdadi said, indeed there is a great wisdom and benefit and purpose in relating and listening to the stories of the pious. And for the Muslims of the ummah, after the messengers of Allah, who is regarded as being the best of creation. The companions of the Messenger. (coughs) And indeed, after the Prophet of Allah, if one just focused on the lives of the companions, years would pass before one would expire their accounts and lessons and morals to be gained from their lives. So it's in this spirit and with this understanding that we speak of the noble companion Abu Ubaid ibn al-Jarrah. An. <coughs> Sayyidina Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, rahmatullahi relates a hadith in his Musnad from, well it's actually an Athar. It's a saying of Abdullah ibn Mus'ud, an. and he says very beautifully, it's a very long hadith and I'll just quote the beginning of it. He says, مَنْ كَانَ مُسْتَنًّا فَإِنَّ الْحَيَّ لَا تُؤْمَنُ عَلَيْهِ الْفِتْنَةِ Whoever is going to follow anyone else's, anyone else's example, then let him follow the example and the sunnah of one who has passed away. Because those who are alive, there is no guarantee that they will not be subjected to trial and tribulation. i.e. as long as anyone is still alive... They can change from good to bad and bad to good, from better to worse and from worse to better. So there's no guarantee about the scholarship or the piety or the salvation of anyone who's still alive. So if someone, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says, if someone is going to follow in the footsteps of another and adopt their example, then let him adopt the example and follow in the tradition and in the footsteps of those who have already passed away. And who was he referring to? He continues, he said, Here, these are the messengers, these are the companions of the Messenger of Allah. They were the best of this ummah, with the most profound knowledge, with the least affectation and pomp and pretensions. <clears throat> with the most pious and noble of hearts, Allah selected them and chose them for His messenger, for the company of his messenger and in order to establish his religion. So, recognize their worth and follow in their... and hold on fast to their traditions. For indeed, they were upon the straight path. So... For the ummah, after the prophets of Allah, there was none other and no one better whose example the ummah can adopt and in whose footsteps the ummah can follow than the noble companions of the messenger, of whom Allah has said in the Quran, Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Allah. And as Allah says, وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّرُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ الَّذِينَ تبعوهم بِإِحْسَانٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوْاً And those who were the first of the Ansar and of the Muhajirin, of the companions from Medina and of the emigrants, and of those who followed them in a good way. So Allah even speaks of those who come later but who follow in the footsteps of the companions, of the muhajirun and the Ansar. And in fact, in one verse of the Qur'an, Allah says, فَإِنْ سُورَةُ الْبَقَرَةِ فَإِنْ آمَنُوا بِمِثْلِ مَا آمَنْتُمْ به فقد وإن تولوا فإنما هم في شقاق. Allah says addressing the companions of the Prophet around the messenger Wasallam That if they, others, if they believe just as you have believed, then indeed they have found guidance. But if they turn away, then indeed they are in differing conflict. So Allah set the iman, the faith and the practice of the noble companions as a standard by which to judge others. If others believe as the companions believed, then they have found guidance. But if they turn away from the path of the companions, then they are in differing conflict. And in another verse, Allah says, and whoever opposes the messenger, After (coughs) guidance has become clear for him, whoever opposes the messenger after guidance has become clear for him, and he follows a path other than the path of the believers, the mu'mineen, we will thrust him. Or turn him, we will turn him and thrust him in the direction which he himself has chosen. So if someone follows a path other if someone opposes a Messenger and follows a path other than the path of the mu'mineen, Allah says we will turn him and thrust him in the very direction which he has adopted, which is different and in opposition to the direction and the method and the path. Of the Prophet sallallahu Most importantly, when Allah says "Mu'mineen" here, the believers, He is referring to not the general body of believers that come after the Prophet sallallahu time. Of course, in a way, that is one consideration of the verse also, but the primary, original meaning and the main consideration of the verse is whoever opposes a messenger, and follows a path other than the believers, i.e., the noble companions and the believers around the Prophet ﷺ. So their way, their path, their iman and belief were all a standard by which Allah judged others. So speaking of Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, his name was Abu Ubaidah was his kunya. But his name was actually Amir. Amir ibn Abdullah. And he was from the Quraysh tribe, from Makkah al Mukarramah. He was born in Makkah, approximately 13 years younger than the Prophet. One of the very first people to embrace Islam. And in fact, he, according to some narrations, he was one of the first people in that he numbered in the first 10 or 12 who actually embraced Islam along with, uh, in one narration, a group of them, including Uthman ibn Mazun, Abdurrahman ibn Awf, Ubaidat ibn al-Harith, Abu Salamah ibn Abdul asad and Abu Ubaidat ibn al-Jarrah, radiyallahu anhum. These five companions went and approached the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Makkah. He explained the tenets of Islam to them, ...and its teachings, they accepted and they embraced Islam at his hands... ...in the very early days of the Prophet's call in Mecca. And ever since he embraced, he clung on to the Prophet wasallam ...with the love, devotion and dedication. In the fifth year of prophethood, approximately... ...when the persecution of Muslims in Mecca was on the rise... And the Messenger وسلم, advised the believers to emigrate, those of them who could, to Abyssinia and seek refuge there with the Christian king Najashi, who was a just king. One of those who emigrated was Abu Ulida ibn Jarrah and but he didn't stay there for long and he returned. He then did hijrah with the Prophet وسلم, to Medina. And from the bat- and from the very beginning. He participated in all of the battles along with the Messenger. وسلم, and not only that, but because of the way the Prophet viewed him and trusted him, and he actually loved him dearly, he appointed him as the leader of many military expeditions. And in the Battle of Badr, Abu Ubaidat ibn Jarrah was at the forefront. And one real test of his love for Allah and his Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and his devotion and dedication to the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was when he was actually faced in the Battle of Badr by his own father. His father was one of the, was in the pagan camp of Makkah, and the son, Abu Ubaidah, was with the Muslims. Abu Ubaidah, initially avoided the father. But the father, in order to provoke his son, kept on coming in front of him. Eventually they fought and Abu Ubaidah killed his own father. There were other companions who also had to face their own family members. And a number of authors of hadith, including Imam Tabarani and Imam Bayhaqi in his Sunan and others, relate that when these companions and specifically when these companions faced members of their family in the Battle of Badr, and specifically Abu Ubaidat Ibn al Jarrah radiallahu an who unfortunately ended up fighting with his own father, Allah revealed the verse of Surah al mujadilah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لا تجد قوم يؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر يوادون من حاد الله ورسوله ولو كانوا آباءهم أو أبناءهم أو إخوانهم أو عشيرتهم كتب في قُرُوبِهِمُ الإيمان وأيدهم بروح ويدخلهم مِنْ ويدخلهم فيها حزب الله حزب الله Allah says you will not find a people who believe in Allah and in the final day befriending and loving those who have challenged Allah and his messenger even though these challenges may be their own fathers or their own sons, or their own brothers, or their own families. These are a people in whose hearts Allah has engraved Iman, faith. And Allah has strengthened and supported them with the spirits from unto himself. And Allah will enter them into gardens beneath which rivers shall flow. Allah is pleased with them, they are pleased with Allah. This is a party of Allah. And lo, indeed the party of Allah is the one which is victorious. Now do remember that these verses were revealed specifically about the noble companions of the Prophet ﷺ uh, after the Battle of Badr because of their unique situation. So the verse should be understood in that context. But this is a hadith related by Imam Tabarani and Imam Bayhaqi and other authors of hadith Ibn Abi Hatim as well as others. And it shows Abu Ubaidat ibn al Jarah radiyallahu an, in his loyalty, dedication, and devotion to the Prophet. After the Prophet وسلم, left this world, Abu Ubaid ibn Jarrah was just as highly regarded by the companions as he was by the Messenger of Allah. And how was he regarded by the Messenger of Allah? In hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi in his Sunan, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa mentioned a number of companions. And of each of them he said how great and beautiful a man is. And amongst them he mentioned Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. Ni'mal Rajul, Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. How great and beautiful a man is Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. And in fact in one narration Related by Ibn Asakir And others Prophet wasallam addressed his own companions Imagine such a testimony On the part of the messenger of Allah And he was speaking to the companions And he said to them There is not one person amongst you Except that if I wished I could seize him For some fault in his character. There is not one person amongst you. Except that if I wish. I could seize him. And hold him to account. For some fault in his character. Except Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, And the same hadith has been narrated by. Abu Bakr ibn Abi Shaybah in his al Musannaf and by others also. But the wording is slightly different. Instead of addressing the companions, the Prophet said, There is no one amongst my companions who, if I wish, I would not be able to seize them for some flaw in their character. I.e., everyone has a flaw in their character that I could hold them to account for, with the exception of Abu Ubaidat ibn Jarrah. But the hadith is mursal, for those of you who know the difference, related by al-Hassan al-Basri, who's not one of the companions. And most famously, Abu Ubaytadun al Jarrah radiyallahu anhu is one of the ten promised Jannah. He is from the al-Asharatul Mubashara. And again, Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhi a very beautiful hadith from the noble companion Sa'id ibn Zayd radiyallahu anhu who said to his students that the Prophet said there are ten people in Jannah. Abu Bakr is in Jannah. Umar is in Jannah. Uthman is in Jannah. Ali is in Jannah. Talha is in Jannah. Zubair is in Jannah. Abdul Rahman ibn Auf is in Jannah. Abu Ubaidat ibn al-Jarrah is in Jannah. Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas is in Jannah. Then Sayyid ibn Zayd fell silent. So these were only nine. So his students said to him, O oh, Abu Awar, again this was a kunya of Sayyid ibn Zayd allahuan, O Abu al Awar, who is the tenth? So Sayyid ibn radiyallahu Allahuan remained silent. So the students pressed him and said, O oh, Abul Awar. We beseech we we ask of you in the name of Allah, through the name of Allah we ask of you that you tell us who is a tenth person of whom the Prophet said he is in Jannah. So Sayyid ibn radiyallahu and said, Now that you ask me, pressing me in the name of Allah, then I must say that the Prophet said, And Saeed is in Jannah, referring to himself. This was his humility, he would not mention. The fact that he was included amongst the ten promised jannah by Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the Sahaba anhum, were remarkable in their self-effacement, in their humility. Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam not only praised Abu Ubaidah an, but he loved him dearly, and. He must have had some truly profound and endearing qualities for which the Messenger of Allah loved him thus. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, rahmatullahi alayhi, relates a hadith in his musnad. From Abdullah ibn Shaqeq, who says that, I asked Umm al-Mu'mineen A'isha radiyallahu anha. There were others also. He said, I asked Umm al-Mu'mineen A'isha radiyallahu anha. The of the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Who was the most beloved to the Messenger of Allah? Of the companions? So Aisha anha said Abu Bakr Was the most beloved of the companions to the Messenger of Allah We then asked Then who? Umm al Aisha anha said Then Umar we then asked, then who? Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha anha, said, who? After Abu Bakr and Umar, Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha said, Abu Ubaidat ibn Jarrah. <coughs> he was the third person in line whom the Prophet sallallahu loved the most of the companions. Of the companions. After Abu Bakr and Umar, Abu Ubaidat ibn Jarrah. Then Yazid, one of those who was present, asked her, Then who? Umm al-Mu'mineen A'isha radiallahu anha remained silent. She only mentioned three people. Abu Bakr Umar and Abu Ubaidat, Abu, Abu Ubaidat ibn Jarrah radiallahu anha. Why wouldn't the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa love him? He, when he was devoted to the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa in such a way that Sayyidina Abu Bakr as siddiq radiyallahu anhu relates this account. That in the battle of Uhud, which took place in the third year of Hijrah, one year after the battle of Badr. As you know, in the battle of Uhud, the Muslims scored a victory initially. <coughs> However, because of the failure of, the, of a group of archers. ...to obey the command of the Prophet ﷺ, ...not to leave their posts on a small hillock... ...overlooking a ravine... ...which was strategically very important to the Muslims. And if that remained, if that remained exposed... ...then the Quraysh would have been able to attack the Muslims from the rear. So because of the failure of these archers... ...to obey the command of the Prophet wasallam, ...the Muslims suffered a great setback. Okay. They initially scored a great victory. The Quraysh were in retreat and were dispersing. However, it was Allah's wisdom... ...that Khalid ibn al-Walid عنه, was waiting with a 200 force of cavalry... ...at a distance. And he, being the general that he was... ...he was specifically observing... This particular post of the archers, and this hillock overlooking the ravine, and when the Muslims thought that the Quraysh had fled the battlefield, and now the battle was over, and the some not all some of the companions on the hillock decided to abandon their positions and come down into the battlefield, main battlefield. Contrary to the instructions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, only a handful were left. And when Khalid ibn al-Walid saw this, he then attacked the Muslims from the rear with his cavalry, and word was sent to the retreating Quraysh to return and attack the Muslims from the front. So the Muslims were caught in a pincer movement, as a result of which they suffered a huge setback, and many companions were martyred, many were injured, so much so that even the Prophet was injured. And Rasulullah, as a strategic maneuver, he retreated to the safety of the mountain with just a handful of companions around him. And in that confusion, he was also attacked. One of the Quraysh came and attacked him. Luckily, though, he was only able to strike the helmet. And, but it was with such force that the helmet of the Prophet wasallam, the rings of the helmet and the links, embedded themselves in the noble cheeks of the Prophet Abu Bakr anhu relates that I rushed to the Prophet and as I was rushing towards him, I saw someone coming from the east as though he was flying. Meaning he was, he was rushing and hurrying to the Messenger وسلم, with such haste and speed that it seemed as though he was flying. It's just a metaphoric term. I saw someone coming from the east as though he was flying. And when I saw him coming, I prayed to Allah that, O oh Allah, make this a coming of obedience. I.e., make him someone who is one of the companions of the Messenger who comes to defend the messenger and let him not be one of the enemy and i rushed to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and we both met and lo and behold it was no other none other than abu Ubaidah ibn al-jarrah i rushed forward to try and remove the links from the cheeks of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam but abu Ubaidah ibn al-jarrah beat me to it and he said leave me be then because the links were embedded so with such force, he was hit with such force that the links were embedded very deeply. They could not be removed normally. So Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah radiyallahu an clasped one of the links with his teeth, and with great vigor and force, he bit it and tried to pull it from the cheek of the Prophet sallallahu wasallam, and he was able to. But in the process. One of the, the link came out, one of the teeth of Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah fell out. And because he pulled with such force, he actually fell back and landed on his back. Then he rose and bit the other link. And again with great force, he pulled the link out with his teeth. He lost another tooth. Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah an lost two teeth from the front. But it was something which he prided himself on. For the rest of his days. And which the companions loved him for. And his appearance was such. That he was. Very tall. Slim. Lean of face. Lean of body. He had a very sparse beard. And. His two teeth were missing. But the companions would say. That we have never seen any gap in anyone's teeth. As beautiful as a gap in the teeth of Abu ibn al Jarrah. Not only was it beautiful, but it reminded them of the Prophet Sallallahu In fact, when Abu ibn al Jarrah, as I said, he was tall, very slim, lean of body, lean of face, sparse beard. And he would actually dye his hair and his beard with hinna. And when he died. He had two plants. This is something which has, which many people find surprising. But plants for men are permissible. And Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah radiallahu anhu, he was, when he died, he had two plants. Unless anyone thinks that how, that's not very manly. He was the supreme commander of the Rashidun army in Syria. He was the supreme commander, but he had two plans. Khayran. So Abu Ubaidah al Jarrah radiyallahu anhu, when he—that's how he lost his teeth. That was his love for Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam loved him as dearly. Not only did he love him, not only did he regard him highly but one of the most important things is he trusted him. He trusted him in such a way that Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu relates in a hadith recorded by Imam Bukhari in his Sahih and by others, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa publicly announced, ummah umma, Abu Jarrah." That indeed every nation has a trustee. And the trustee, and our trustee, our ummah, is Abu Umeidah ibn al-Jarrah. And the, the occasion when he said this, was, when in the ninth year of Hijrah, some of the Christian leaders, from Najran, which today is part of Arabia, and Then as well in in the south of Arabia. Then, it was a famous Christian stronghold. So, and virtually most of the tribes in the whole region were Christian tribes. So, and it's, it's part of southern Arabia. So, a delegation, a very large delegation of their leaders came to Medina in the ninth year of Hijrah. And they had discussions with the Prophet وسلم, in Masjid al Nabi and he invited them to Islam, but they did not accept. Eventually, they came to an agreement. They accepted the authority of the Prophet وسلم, though not his religion. And as part of that agreement, they were to, they came uh, they were to pay tribute, a tribute to the Prophet and the Muslims. So. These leaders of Najran said to the Prophet "Please send with us someone who is trustworthy." So the Prophet said, "Sahih late Bukhari, I will send with you someone who is trustworthy, Hāq Amin, truly trustworthy." And in one narration of the same hadith. Recorded by Imam Ahmed and his Muslim and others, Prophet said, I will send with you someone who is trustworthy, trustworthy, trustworthy. The narrator says the companions, in order to gain this honor, and win this title of being trustworthy, they all sat up and... Leant forward on their knees, raising their heads in the hope that they would be selected. Even someone like Umar ibn al Khattab, he says, In my entire life, I have never aspired to leadership except on that one day when the Prophet announced that he will send a trustworthy person with the delegation of Najran. He said, On that day, I actually raised my head also, hoping to be selected by the Prophet sallallahu And that's one occasion when I did aspire to leadership and selection. But despite everyone's aspirations and hopes, the Prophet sallallahu pointed to Abu Ubaidah ibn jarrah <laughs> and said, Oh Abu Ubaidah, rise. And he took his hand and said to the, uh, the delegation of Najran, he is a trustee of my ummah. So, and the Prophet sallallahu trusted him to that degree. He had some truly amazing qualities. It's unfortunate that we don't know more about him. But it's the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But do remember, it's not always those that we know the most about that are the best. Abu Bakr al-Siddiq has very few narrations of hadith in contrast to the other companions. Abu Ubaidat al-Jarrah also has very few narrations of hadith, fewer than 15 compared to the other companions. And yet, they were of the best of the Sunnah. To such a degree that after the Prophet alayhi passed away, Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi relates a hadith in his sahih. Again from Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha. That she was asked that if the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would have named a successor, who would he have named specifically? So Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha said Abu Bakr. Then she said Umar. Then she said Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah it's a very similar hadith to the one I quoted earlier. That's a hadith of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, in which Abdullah ibn shaqiq and Yazid and others asked Umm al Mu'minin Aisha radiyallahu anha about who was the most beloved to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa from amongst his companions. And she replied, these three in the same order, Abu Bakr umar and Abu Ubaidat ibn jarrah And this hadith of Sahih Muslim, and recorded by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad also, and by others, is a very similar hadith from Umm Aisha radiyallahu anha, but not about who was the most beloved. But the question was, if the Prophet sallallahu would have specifically appointed someone and named someone as his successor, who would he have named? So Abu Bakr, then Umar, then Abu Reydid ibn al jarrah And indeed... Immediately after the passing away of the Prophet sallallahu in the Saqifah of Ibn Sa'idah, when the Muslims gathered, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiAllahu anhu stood up, and even though he was appointed by the Muslims as the Khalifa and the successor to the Prophet sallallahu who did he recommend? He rose and addressing the congregation, he said to them, "O oh people." i am content and pleased with one of two people to be your leader and the two are umar ibn al-khattab and abu ubaida ibn al-jarrah even though abu Ubaidah anh, was 10 years younger than him he was 10 years younger than abu bakr as-siddiq anh, and yet he said i choose one of, i am content and pleased with one of these two men to serve as your leader o muslims Either Umar ibn al-Khattab or Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. Umar ibn al-Khattab, anh, he himself on that occasion, he said to Abu Ubaidah, Imam Ahmad ibn al relates in his Musnad, another beautiful hadith, says that on that occasion, Abu, Umar ibn al-Khattab anh, said to Abu Ubaidah, O oh, Abu Ubaidah, extend your hand so that I may pledge my allegiance to you. For indeed, I have heard the Prophet wasallam say that you are the ameen and the trustee of this ummah. So Abu Ubaidah anhu's reply was, I will never allow myself to be placed before someone whom the Prophet wasallam instructed to lead us in prayer in his presence, and who continued to lead us in prayer until the Prophet wasallam passed away, meaning Abu Bakr ﷺ. So eventually when Abu Bakr siddiq radiyallahu an was appointed, he appointed Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah being the ameen and the trustee of the ummah as the treasurer. And when Abu Bakr siddiq radiyallahu an passed away and Umar ibn khattab radiyallahu became the Khalifa, he was named by Abu Bakr siddiq radiyallahu an. Then Sayyidina Umar ibn khattab radiyallahu continued with his friendship. ...and his trust of Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. In fact, Sayyidina Umar an loved him. Not only loved him, but respected him. And he considered him a brother and a friend. He praised him. Imagine someone of the caliber of Umar ibn al-Khattab... ...radiyallahu an ...saying the following. Once he was seated with a, with a group of people... ...and he said to them, ...wish. These were his companions... These were the normal people of his gathering, his friends, his closest advisors. And he said to them, wish. So they all wished. Someone wished for one thing, another wished for something else. After they had finished expressing, expressing their wishes as to what they would really want, Sayyidina Umar said, do you know what I wish for? I wish for a house full of people like Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah. That's what I wish for. He, he admired him and trusted him to such a degree that he wished for a house full of people like Abu Ulidat ibn Jabrah. And he trusted him, for indeed he had heard the Prophet say he is a trustee of this Ummah. He appointed him as the commander of the forces in Sham, in Syria. And he actually relegated Khalid ibn al An from command, overall command. And he made Sayyidina Abu Ubaydah ibn al-Jarrah the supreme commander of all the Muslim forces in Sham, modern-day Syria, Jordan, the Levant, and even southern Turkey, that whole region. And Abu Allah was then responsible for conquering the whole region all the way to the Euphrates River in the east and all the way to Antioch and the borders of Asia Minor in the north. Unfortunately, in the 18th year of Hijrah, a plague struck the Muslims in that region. It was a severe plague, many, many Muslims died. When Sayyidina Umar heard of this plague, one of the first things he did was he tried to summon Abu Ubaidat ibn jarrah from Sham, where he was based. And in fact, in one narration it says... Well, he, he tried to summon Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, and he sent him a letter. And in the letter he said to him, O oh Abu Ubaidah, a need has arisen here. And I cannot remain independent of you. I am in need, I am in need of you. So make haste and return to me immediately. Unfortunately, when Abu Ubaidah al-Jarrah received that letter... He had already contracted the illness and he was already suffering from the plague. He wrote back. And when he received the letter, he said to his companions, he said, I know what Amir al wants of me. I know what his need is. What was the need of Sayyidina Umar and Sayyidina Umar wanted to ensure that if he could save anyone, it would be Abu Baydud ibn al so Abu Ubaidah anhu said, I know what Amir al-Mu'mineen wants of me and what his need is. His need is and his desire is that he wishes to save someone who cannot be saved. So Sayyidina Abu Ubaidah anhu wrote back saying to Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn al-Khattab, politely declining and saying, I am but one of the Muslims. And... I cannot avoid for myself what has befallen them. I, I wish to die with my fellow Muslims. In suffering the plague. When Sayyidina Amir, when Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar ibn al-Khattab received the letter, he read it silently and he wept. He wept. And Umar was a man not known to weep. In that manner, he wept. Those around him said to him, Has Abu Ubaidah passed away? Has he died? Sayyidina Umar said, No, he hasn't died. qad, But to me it is as though he has already died. And he wept. That's how much he loved him. And how much he trusted him. And when Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu anhu first heard of the plague, he feared that he would be struck because he was actually traveling at the time towards Sham, And he feared that maybe he would be struck by the plague. And he didn't know of the position of Sayyidina Abu Ubaidah. So he said to those around him, he said, if, and he meant that if he is struck by the plague, and if Abu Ubaidah is still alive, then I will appoint Abu Ubaidah. As the Khalifa of the Muslims. And in one narration he said, I won't consult anyone. I will not consult anyone. And I will appoint Abu Ubaida as a leader of the Muslims. And Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, he relates this hadith in his Musnad. he says, that Sayyidina Umar said, if Abu Ubaida is still alive, and he meant that I'm about to leave, then I will appoint Abu Ubaidah as a leader of the Muslims. And on Yawmul Qiyamah, when Allah will ask me, why did you appoint Abu Ubaidah? I will say in reply to Allah, O oh Allah, I heard your Prophet Sallallahu say, that every Prophet has a trustee, and my trustee is Abu Ubaidah. And in another narration he said, I will appoint him and I won't consult anyone. And if I am asked my reply will be that I have appointed someone who is trusted by Allah and trusted by his messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Imagine his position. And Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab, anhu, would have appointed him. And in the same narration, the long narration, there are actually two people that he mentions. He says, if Abu Ubaidah is alive, I will appoint him. And then he related this haditha, if, and I will say to Allah that I appointed him because I heard your messenger say, every prophet, the wording is different. Here he says, every prophet has a trustee and my trustee is Abu Ubaidah. Then he said, if Abu Ubaidah is no longer alive and Mu'ad ibn Jabal is alive, then I will appoint Mu'ad ibn Jabal. And if I am asked, why did you appoint Muadh ibn Jabal? I will say, I appointed Muadh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anhu for indeed, I heard the Messenger وسلم, say, "On the Day of Judgment, Abu uh, Mu'adh Ibn Jabal will be resurrected in such a way that he will be placed among, in front of an assembly of ulama, and he will be so distant from them that he will be an arrow's throw away." Meaning, the Prophet said of Mu'adh Ibn Jabal radiyallahu anhu, muadh ibn jabal The most learned of halal and haram, of the lawful and the unlawful, of the companions, is Muadh ibn Jabal radiyallahu He was a man of the Qur'an, a scholar of the Qur'an, a scholar of fiqh, of halal and haram. The Prophet sent him as a qadi, and as a judge, and a teacher, and a guide for the people of Yemen. And the Prophet loved him also. We know very little of the caliber of these companions. But Sayyidina Umar radiallahu said, If Abu Ubaidah is not alive, I will appoint Mu'ath ibn Jabal. He was an alim. So the Prophet said to him, He will be resurrected on the day of judgment in such a way that he will be placed before an assembly of ulama, but not close to them. For the difference and the gap between him and the assembly of the ulama, i.e., of the ummah, will be a whole arrow's throw. That would be the distance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mu'ad ibn Jabal radiyallahu an, he recognized Abu Ubaidah. Abu Ubaidah recognized Mu'ad ibn Jabal. Umar ibn al-Khattab recognized Abu Ubaidah and Mu'ad ibn Jabal. Abu Bakr siddiq radiyallahu an recognized Abu Ubaidah radiyallahu an these companions understood each other they knew each other it takes an artist to recognize art it takes a genius to recognize talent it takes a wali of allah to recognize a wali of allah it takes a scholar to recognize a scholar if we fail to see the good and the great the goodness and the greatness in others who are regarded as being good and great then it's our failure these Sahaba, عنهم, they recognize each other. And even in their own time, they may not have been recognized as being such. In fact, speaking of Mu'adh ibn Jabal, عنهم, during the siege of Damascus, which was being led by Abu Ubaid ibn al-Jarrah, during the siege of Damascus, in, under his command, someone was critical of Abu Ubaid ibn al-Jarrah, maybe he was questioning his strategy. And the failure of the Muslims to immediately conquer Damascus without the siege. And he made this criticism in front of Muadh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an. And his suggestion was, he said, if Khalid ibn al-Walid was the commander, then the Muslims would not be in this position. Muadh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an this is what I said, it takes... A person of that caliber, to recognize someone of that caliber. Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anhu said to him, You criticize Abu Ubaidah? I swear by Allah. Of all the people who remain on earth, he is the best. They were similar. They were similar. One Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu he sent... Like I said, I'll, I'll relate the story in a moment. But it takes great people to recognize greatness. And the companions saw this in each other. Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an was a beloved, was a beloved friend of Abu Ubaid al-Jarrah. Another one of their close friends was none other than Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu an. He would say, أَخِلَّائِ مِنْ ashabi رَسُولِ wasallam." He, he would say, my best friend. Allahu Akbar. Imagine this friendship. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud being who he was. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says, عنه, my best friends amongst the companions of the Messenger of Allah are Abu Bakr, Umar, and Abu Ubaidat ibn Jarrah. The three who are the most beloved. The three who are the, who are the most deserving of Khilafah and leadership. These three were the best friends of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. They recognized each other, even though others may have failed to recognize them. And what was it? We know, just of, we know of just some of the qualities of Abu Ubaidah ibn jarrah One, even though he was made a lead. And this is one of the greatest teachings of Islam. The Prophet wasallam said in a very authentic hadith which I've related before. Do not ask for leadership. For if you ask for leadership and you are given leadership, by aspiring to it and seeking it, then you will be abandoned to it. I.e. you will be left to your own devices with the burden of leadership, with all its responsibility and burden. But, if you are given leadership without seeking it or aspiring to it, then you will be assisted in it. Meaning, Allah will assist you. And that was the truth. That was one thing about Abu Ubaidah radiallahu anha. Aisha radiallahu anha says, if the Prophet ﷺ would have made named Khalifa after him, it would have been Abu Bakr, Umar, or Abu Ubaidah. And meaning in succession, Abu Ubaidah ibn Jallaah. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anha said, extend your hand, O Abu Ubaidah, so that I may pledge my allegiance to you, and appoint you as a leader of the Muslims. Sayyidina Abu Bakr anhu said to the congregation, O Muslims, I am content and pleased with one of these two as your leader, either Umar ibn al-Khattab or Abu Ubaidah. And during his lifetime during the lifetime of the Prophet, he would appoint he would appoint Abu Ubaidah anhu as the commander of military expeditions and of large groups, large expeditions. So much so that on one occasion but the lesson is Abu Ubaidah radiallahu anhu never sought leadership for himself. He never aspired to it. In fact, even when he was given it, he would relinquish it. His humility, his unworldliness. Once Amr ibn al radiallahu was in the north near Sham during the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He was in a very difficult position, he sent word to the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa for reinforcements. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa raised a small army, and in that army was Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhumah. And despite the presence of Abu Bakr and Umar, who did he appoint as leader and commander of that expedition? Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah despite the presence of Abu Bakr and Umar in the army. That army went as reinforcements for Amr ibn an. When they arrived, Amr ibn an said to the arriving reinforce, reinforcements, he said to them, I am your amir and leader. I mean, they had to decide these were reinforcements. He said, you have only been sent as reinforcements, so I am your amir." But the noble muhajirun in the reinforcing expedition said to him, You are Amir of those who are with you. Our Amir is still Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. They refuse to recognize anyone else as Amir in the presence of Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. Allahu Akbar. Abu Ubaidah radiyallahu anhu, with his humility, he said to Amr ibn al-As, and he announced to the rest, that I relinquish my leadership, and I follow Amr ibn al-As. He was extremely humble. When Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiyallahu an made him the supreme commander of all the Muslim forces in Sham, and he relegated Khalid ibn al-Walid, radiyallahu what was the response of Khalid ibn al-Walid? These were the noble companions. Khalid ibn al-Walid anhu, was he bitter? No. He stood up. And addressing his army and his most loyal and devoted veterans, he said to them, Abu Ubaidah has been appointed commander over all of us. And indeed we have heard the messenger of Allah say, Every ummah has a trustee and an ameen, and the ameen and trustee of this ummah is Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. So what did Abu Ubaidah radiyallahu anhu do? Khalid ibn al walid was gracious in his relegation. And he was gracious in his, and obedient in becoming one of the subjects of Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. And what was Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah's response to Khalid ibn al walids speech? He stood up also, and he said, O oh people, even though he was now a commander, he said, O oh people. And indeed, I have heard the messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, say, that Khalid ibn al is a sword of the swords of Allah. وَنِعْمَ ashira And how great a young man of the clan is Khalid ibn al The companions... Loved and respected each other in such a way. In fact, the first time Khalid ibn walid radiyallahu an was dispatched uh, as a reinforcement for, Amr ibn, for Abu Ubaidah radiyallahu an in the siege of Damascus. Abu Ubaidah radiyallahu an actually said to him when he arrived, he said, O oh Khalid, you have come to strengthen me and to reinforce me here, leaders in prayer. Khalid ibn walid radiyallahu said, I can never stand before someone of whom the Prophet ﷺ said that every ummah has a trustee and the trustee of this ummah is Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. He refused to stand in front of him in prayer. That was their love and respect for each other, their humility. Let us learn from their humility. In fact, Abu Ubaidah was so humble and his gaze was on the Akhirah to such a degree that he would say, he actually made an announcement And he said, O people, I am of the Quraysh, meaning he was a nobleman of the Quraysh. I am of the Quraysh. But if I see anyone amongst you, black or red, red meaning brown, black or brown amongst you, who excels me and exceeds me in taqwa, then I will follow in his footsteps. And he would say, I wish I was a ram. Whose owners would then slaughter the ram, eat the meat, and drink the stock. Why would they make comments such as these? The reason, Abu Bakr would say, you would see a bird and say, I wish I was a bird, roaming and flying freely without a care in the world. I wish I was a blade of grass. <laughs> Why would the Sahaba, رضي make such comments? The reason they would do so is that they feared accountability and standing before Allah on the day of reckoning. They would rather be a blade of grass, a bird, flying around carelessly, or even a ram that would be slaughtered, whose meat would be consumed and whose stock would be drunk, and over and done with. For they feared accountability and standing before Allah on the day of judgment and Abu Ubaidah he was appointed supreme commander of the forces of Sham that conquered that whole fertile and rich region that was the land of Byzantine Rome with all its glory, its opulence its riches its power, its glitz, its glamour the Muslims occupied the palaces in Bosra in jerusalem in damascus in antioch all the forts in that whole region all the way up to asia minor and anatolia and yet what what could one assume at the head and at the realm and in command of all of this with overall control was abu ubaida He would have enjoyed the riches, the power, the opulence. He would have settled into a comfortable life. He would have, like if, if these companions had any remnant of the days of before, when the Arabs and the Bedouin of Arabia would raid, and they would claim as much as they could for themselves. If there was any remnant of that, then... Abu Ubaidah and being the overall commander, and being in charge of all of this, with all these riches and these this power, this influence, at his disposal, at his feet, he would have claimed to share for himself. And yet, his asceticism his unworldliness, his gaze on the Akhirah, all of these were such, they had no interest in the dunya whatsoever. Sayyidina Umar anh, sent a number of gold sovereigns and a few thousand dirhams to Sayyidina Abu Ubaidah anh, Its calculation in today's currency would be about 10,000 pounds. He sent that money, silver coins and gold sovereigns to Abu Ubaidah. And he actually said to the messenger, see what Abu Ubaidah does with this money. When Abu Ubaidah received the money, inshallah, he immediately distributed it amongst the Muslims. Then he sent the same amount of money to Mu'adh ibn Jabal. What did Mu'adh ibn Jabal do? This is what I said earlier. They were all close to each other. They knew and recognized each other. Mu'adh ibn Jabal again distributed all the money amongst the Muslims. His wife said, we were in great need, dire need. So we kept a bit just for our bare necessities. When Sayyidina Umar an, was told that, The money was given to Abu Ubaidah. The money was given to Mu'adh ibn Jabal. And this is how they disposed of the money. Sayyidina Umar said, Alhamdulillah, all praise be to that Allah who has created amongst Muslims such people who behave in such a way. They gave the money away. No interest whatsoever. And his ascetism was such Allahu Akbar. And our end, Sayyidina Umar when he went to inspect the forces in Sham. When he arrived there. He said. Where is my uchi, my brother Abu Ubaidah? Abu Ubaidah came. The supreme commander. He came on a camel. Pompous? Resplendent? No. He came on a camel. And the reins of the camel were made from raw rope. The bridle and the reins, bridle and the reins were raw rope. Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu an Imam Abu Dawood rahmatullahi relates in his sunnah, that Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu sat in front of everybody. On, on one occasion when they both met Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu an he met Sayyidina Abu Ubaida. he shook his hands, and Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab took the hands of Abu Ubaidah and kissed them. Umar kissed the hands of Abu Ubaidah. Then he took him to one side. People were still watching, but they couldn't hear what they were saying. Abu Ubaidah and Umar ibn Khattab stood to one side and they both began weeping. So Imam Abu Dawood relates in his sunan that when Sayyidina Umar came to inspect the Muslim garrisons in Sham, <coughs> he said to Abu Ubaidah in front of everybody, Oh Abu Ubaidah, take me to your house. Take me home. Abu Ubaidah radiallahu anhu said, Oh Amir al-Mu'mineen, you only wish to weep over me. Ma turidu illa an tu'assir aynayk. The wording is beautiful. Oh Amir al-Mu'mineen, you only wish to squeeze your eyes tears over me. Tu'assir aynayk. You only wish to squeeze your eyes, tears over me. Sayyidina Umar an persisted, take me home. Why did Sayyidina Umar an go? Not because he wanted to inspect how the Supreme Commander was living. Maybe he is abusing the wealth. Maybe he is abusing the resources. Maybe he is falsely claiming and misappropriating the wealth of the Muslims. Now Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu trusted him more than that when he arrived he said where is my brother Abu Ubaidah Abu Ubaidah take me to your house you only wish to weep over me O oh, Amir and Mu'mineen. he persisted take me to your house when they arrived Sayyidina Umar and Sayyidina Abu Ubaidah entered the house Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu looked around the house and he began weep. he looked around the house and he said oh Abu Ubaidah I can only see a bedding a plate. And a leather bag of water. Oh Abu Ubaidah, is there any food in your house? Abu Ubaidah anh, went to a container and pulled out some qusayrat The wording of the hadith in Abu Dawud son is qusayrat qusayrat means small broken pieces. And normally what this used to be used for is Dry provisions. You know how we have bowls or containers of nuts? Pistachios, almonds, uh, walnuts, broken nuts. Um, These things, small broken savories. This is what you call maksourat or kusairat in Arabic. So the wording of the hadith is he went to a container and he pulled out some kusairat, broken crushed pieces of nuts, etc. And he presented them to Umar ibn al-Khattab. And who was this? The supreme commander of the Muslim forces, in Shah, of Byzantine Rome. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu <laughs> anhu began weeping. Abu Ubaidah said to him, "O oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, didn't I tell you that you only wish to weep over me? Then he said, "O oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, what you see before you, this is sufficient to carry me to the grave. This is sufficient to carry me to the grave. Sayyidina Umar said, O Abu Ubaidah, whilst weeping, Umar ibn al-Khattab said to him, O Abu Ubaidah, the dunya, the world, has touched every one of us, except you, O Abu Ubaidah. Abu Ubaidah, this was long before the uh, plague. When Abu Ubaidah, was struck by the plague. What had happened is that he was struck by the plague around him. But his design, he did not wish for anything in the world. Even though he fought so many battles, he never—he was never martyred. He was in every battle with the Messenger of Allah, but he was never martyred. And even then afterwards, he was never martyred. But was he a coward in any way? Far from it. Because they were very good friends, muadh ibn Jibr and Abu Ubaidah, muadh ibn Jibr. was wounded. So he sent someone to Abu Ubaidah, And said to him, go and tell Abu Ubaidah, we have been pierced with spears and we are wounded. How are you? So Abu Ubaidah, he showed his hand to the messenger. And there was a spear wound in the the hand. So the messenger, when he saw the wound, he didn't think much of it. And the others also around him said... This is nothing, O oh, Abu Ubaidah. So Abu Ubaidah, radiyallahu anhu, pointing to the wound in his palm, said to him, I will pray that Allah blesses it and increases it. I will pray that Allah blesses this wound and increases it. If I pray for its increase and its blessing, then inshallah it will increase. And when Muslims around him in the camp were... Contracting the illness and be were afflicted by the plague. Sayyidina Abu Ubaidah was still safe. He actually raised his hands and prayed to Allah. That oh Allah grant me and my family our share of the plague also. In fact my apologies. Uh, I mixed up the wording. When he saw the wound. The person said to him that this is nothing. A very small wound. So of that wound, he said, it may be small, but I would not enjoy or accept a whole herd of red camels in lieu of this wound. And when he prayed to Allah, that Allah, grant me Abu Ubaidah and my family our share of the plague, he was safe. No sooner had he made that dua than within a short time a boil broke out on his thumb. So then he would look at the boil, and he would say to the boil, others said to him, that's nothing. And he would say, I pray that Allah blesses this boil and that it increases. And indeed it did increase. That's when he received the letter of Umar ibn al Khattab. An, and he said, that I wish to die with the Muslims. And I don't, I cannot, I, I know what Amin al Mu'mineen wants. He wants to save someone who cannot be saved. And he declined to go to Medina and to save himself. Allahu Akbar. In that garrison, there were 36,000 Muslims with Sayyidina Abu Ubaidah and in that plague, (coughs) 30,000 perished. 30,000 died, only 6,000 survived. One of them was Abu Ubaidah. And before he died, he appointed Mu'adh ibn Jabal as the overall commander and his successor. And in that same year, within a few months, Mu'adh ibn Jabal also passed away in the plague. I end with just one by saying of Sayyidina Abu Ubaidah anhu, In the hope that we can learn From his example We can learn and adopt his Learn from and adopt his character Of humility Of asceticism Of unworldliness Of the love of Allah And his messenger وسلم, And of his piety He was once walking through the Muslim camp And Obviously when In the camp at the time, there would be dirt on the floor, etc. In the camp. So he was walking through the camp, and he said to his companions, there are many who try to whiten their clothes, yet they dirty and soil their faith and religion. (coughs) And there are many who try to honour their soul, but in fact they are humiliating and degrading and disgracing their soul." O Muslims, hasten and beat hasten towards and beat your old sinful misdeeds with new fresh good deeds. These were his words. I pray that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala enable us to understand. May Allah make us amongst those who learn from the Life and the character and the personality and the example of these noble companions of Allah may Allah give us a share of their love for Allah and His Messenger sallallahu wasallam and a share of their nobility, their piety, their humility, their learning, their asticism, their unworldliness. And their character. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riadul Haq and has been brought to you by Al Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044. 121 771 or by email via sales at akstore.com Produced under licence by Alcotha Productions All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorised distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.